Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today. Welcome to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. On a weekend of statement victories around the A-League, the Raw offered a frustrating no comment as misfires and miscommunications left them grounded against the high-flying Newcastle Jets. Welcome to the Brisbane Football Review. We're here in the Switch 1197 studios for episode three. James Coughlin here to host, and I'm joined once again by experts Scott Owen and Adam Pace. Guys, how are we going today? Howdy, James. How are you? Yeah, James, how are we? Uh, you know, a bit frustrated. You know, it wasn't the best game on the weekend. I was hoping to come in in a better mood, but you know how it can be. Unpredictable nature of football. Always unpredictable. Yeah, it's, 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 I think there's a lot of, a lot of people that are orange that are really sort of not happy at the moment. So we'll, I guess we'll get through it. That's it. And for those of you listening at home, you're going to guess the overall tone of this first segment. And yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to listen to. So we're a part of the Outside90.com fan network. Today we're going to look in depth at the Raw's loss on the weekend, probably overanalyse things, as well as some of the news and results from around the rest of Australian football. So what do you say we get into Sunday's game? Do we have to? Yeah, I think we're going to have yeah, to. I think necessary evil, I think. That's right. So Sunday's early game saw the Raw travel to a place that has produced some good memories for them in the past, the Hunter region, to face the Newcastle Jets. This, however, would be an afternoon the team would rather forget, as they produced a limp display before going down 4-0. An eighth-minute own goal by Jack Hingott gave the home side an early lead before three second-half goals sealed the points for the Jets. They came from Nigel Bugard, Steven Ugarkovic, and former Raw player Devante Clute. Now, I hate turning games off early, but if I wasn't doing the talking points for outside 90, I probably would have done it myself. Funnily enough, I actually had an offer to go to the Bullets game, which started at 6pm, and frankly, by 8.30, it sounded like a much better night. <laughs> so, let's get into this. First goal, Jack Hingott. Trying to cut out a cross, stuck his boot in the way, went into the post and in. Scott, do you reckon he could have done anything more with that? No, not really. I thought the errors were before that with the pass out from Luke DeVere and also Corey Brown and Jacob Pepper got done by Naboo in the build-up. I don't think there's much Hingit could have done in that situation. That's right. I think it was a bit of a natural instinct for a defender. Do you feel like maybe they could have fouled, was it Naboo, in the build-up? Uh, look, it's I guess woulda, coulda, shoulda, really. Um, especially that early, do you want to sort of risk, you know, giving away an early card? So, you know, looking, it's unlucky. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, it is it is what it was and will, will down early. I think that's what it came down to. That's it. And, you know, he stuck his foot out. He was trying to turn it just away from the near post, but he couldn't quite get a good enough contact on it. And, yeah, Theo was left stranded where he would have cut it out as well. And he wasn't knowing what was behind him either. As yeah. well. That's the other thing. Was there a player behind him? I... I don't think there was, but he's not to know that when he's facing towards where the ball is. Yeah, that's it. And um, uh, it was a little bit frustrating. And as you said, it would have led to an early card for I think it would have been Jade North who was trying to cover. And there was a bad pass from Luke Devere in the end. You know, do you reckon there could have been a possible hangover after last weekend's, I suppose, emphatic draw against the victory? Uh, look, he probably could could have been. Um, like I said, it's obviously a high, even though it's a, it was at one point. As, as you said last week, that you know, actually, um, you know, pulling one out of the fire, you know, does you know build momentum, and it just seems though, 
you know, it's almost they're hanging on, oh, that was a great performance last week. And look, to, almost proverbially, did they did they even really get off the bus, you know, at, at uh, Newcastle on Sunday afternoon? Because it just, yeah, was not a very good performance at all. I think no matter how we look at it. You look like you've got something to say here, Scott. Go for it. <laughs> I'm not sure it was so much of a hangover, more than just a continuation on the away form from last year. You look at some of the away form last year, there were some bad defeats, and it looks like at the start of this year it could be a continuation. Yeah, not so much a hangover of anything that happened in the previous week. That's right. And they did face, you know, they did seem to struggle with the pace of the Jets coming down the flanks. So is that something that really needs to be looked at? I think that's the way teams can hurt us. Naboo on the right was particularly dangerous for them. He, well, he wasn't just on the right, he was all over the place. Like, we've got to give the Jets credit. They came out and played very, very well, especially given what was expected of them. I think a lot of people underestimate the Jets. I think that their draw against um, Adelaide last week, I think, was, was very underrated, especially even though Adelaide sort of got beat, and we'll get into that later in the show. But uh, like I, said, I think Newcastle actually might be, fly- or no, almost probably flying under the radar. They they were very, very good. And I think uh, we just we, while we focus on... The performance of the Raw, we've got, we've got to give them credit because they, they were really good. They were, definitely. Yeah, I was just about to say that they were very good. But it's a funny thing. Six weeks before the season, they were a team that was in a lot of turmoil. I think it was Scott Miller that got sacked. And funny thing is, I remember, I think it was Adam Peacock was saying we had a piece ready to go with him that we'd recorded in the preseason, but now that he was gone, they had to go and quickly reshoot something. It was like the uh, FA18, wasn't it? The... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's always the way. <laughs> Joys of being in TV. All right, so let's get into where things went wrong. And we've all identified the midfield as an area where things really got out of control. How much was Matt Mackay missed, Scott? Massively. Ollie was massively missed. I thought Jacob Pepper, he tried hard, but I don't think it really worked between him and Christensen. The two of them kind of struggled to play the ball forward enough between the two of them. There was too much backwards and sideways between them. It didn't create enough between the two of them to get the team the chances they needed. But that struggling to go forward, was that a little bit from the fact that the Jets were able to sit back having taken an early lead? Possibly. There's a bit of that, but they also tended to play backwards and sideways a lot more than what I thought they would have done in that game. And that was something Aloisi was talking about last season when he came in, saying, I don't want them to hold the ball for the sake of having possession. I want them to actually do something with it. But it feels like they were kind of stuck going sideways and backwards. Yeah, I think definitely they were. That's uh, something that's from from week one to week two. So that that's one thing that's really noticeable. And it's, uh, it just shows that you know, just you know, despite you know a lot of things, you know, Matt McKay is still a very very valuable part of the uh, of the raw machine. I guess they did seem like they were really missing his energy and drive forward. So, um, so yeah, I think like it really. Was, I'm trying to find the right words for this, but. It seemed like he was really miss in that they didn't have that same sort of energy. And we'll give Mackay credit here. He really did push himself when he was on the field last week. So, I don't know. There was a late sub. Now, it was Nathan Constantopoulos. Yay. You got it. Woo-hoo! It's only taken three weeks. He came on and played at the end. And I thought he brought, did bring a bit of that energy to the team. But was it a case of a guy coming on in a match that might have already been a little bit dead? Yeah, it was a bit of too little, too late on that one. He did do well, though. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Now, when they did have the ball and were able to get forward, it feels like they tried to get the ball out to the two wingers, Tommy Orr and Brandon Borello, and then they just hit blind crosses into the box. Was that fr- as frustrating for you guys as it was for me? 
I think so, yeah. It, it seemed like that it was only you know, one plan and that, that's it, and it was uh, just cross, cross, cross. And uh, I think they actually also underestimated the abilities of Jack Duncan. I think um, you know, the Newcastle keeper, you know, he was on the books there, number two behind Ben Kennedy, but he had a pretty good game. Like he, He's a you know, former you know, you know, national you know, underage player. So like I said he, he's, I think he's proven to actually be you know, one of the, the buys of the season for the Jets as far as their debts go. Yeah, Duncan was very good, and I don't think we've got enough bodies in the box for the crosses. And I think also, given his history, they might have been expecting Nigel Bugard to get another red card. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it feels like they got themselves into a corner. No no other option. Let's just hit the ball into the box and hope for the best. And as we were talking about last week, that's not really Jamie McLaren's game, is getting onto the end of crosses, is it? No, well, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's got 20 goals last year, none with the head. So yeah. it's, he's not been scoring goals with his head re- regularly, so it's not the way to use him best. And I think oh, I was going to say that there was even so a chance in the first half, one of the better chances for the Raw, where you know had he have st- stuck his head out like a normal striker does, he may have you know at the near post, he may have actually you know had a chance either at least to force a save. But I think that I think it's like finding their, their inability to be able to actually use the head. And I know um, Andy Harper. It really sort of, you know, seems to hone in on that, that as one of the major sort of trait flaws that Jamie McLaren has. So it's and something he needs to work on. Although, as we said, 20 goals last year, it's a flaw that we'll happily take, but it is still something that can be quite frustrating. I'm just thinking back to last year. They did seem to have a bit of success playing those early crosses in. You know, I've put it in FIFA terms, if you're holding down L1 for the early cross <laughs> and sort of letting McLaren get onto the end of it when he gets behind the two centre-backs. So maybe... If they are going to want to play crosses, maybe try and play them from a little bit deeper and let McLaren use his pace. Barella as well is very good in that area as well. That's it. Although Tommy Orr and Barella, I feel like that's not a bad combination for them to have. They did try and use their pace, but they weren't able to get in behind. Yeah, pretty much sums it up. (laughs) Now, at the back, you guys were saying they were exposed big time by Andrew Naboo. Is there any problem that we're going to have with the recruitment? Time will tell, I think. I mean, it's, it's one game, so we shouldn't jump to too many conclusions. But based on that evidence, we may still be waiting for Corey Brown to truly emerge as a, as a first-choice left-back. I suppose one thing that is quite concerning for me is the fact that Corey Brown is very... He should be very athletic, so I don't like seeing him getting beaten by pace. Now, Hingett's not the fastest guy, but he still should be good enough to get himself in where... Like, not... Uh, caught out by an attacker. I just wonder if it was a confidence thing with Jack Hingott, the early own goal, did it really sort of affect his confidence? And if it is, that's something he needs to get out of his game. As we, as we said, you know, and I think most people would say that, you know, look, he did as much he can do, but let's just hope that it wasn't a confidence thing um, that, that sort of learned there. Because, yeah, he did not have a very good game, you know, unfortunately. That's, that's certainly not the, the stance that we expect of him. Well, it's funny you mentioned the confidence thing because one of the talking points I wrote about for Outside90.com <laughs> Get used to the shameless plugs. <laughs> I noticed up in that 15, 20 minutes after the own goal, he was spraying his passes all over the place. And there were a couple of challenges it looked like he went in for and sort of had a second thought about it. Now, I'm not going to go as far as say that he Theo Walcotted it. <laughs> but, you know, it feels like he was maybe got into his head thinking, oh, is that the right decision? Is that the best way to do it? And yeah, maybe that got in, in the way. But uh, anyway, let's move on to the positive because we're... Nothing if we don't look for the silver linings. Now, Scott, I, I like what you were talking about before we started recording. What was your biggest positive from the game? We wore the home kit, James. <laughs> <laughs> we wore the orange and we didn't need to wear the away kit. It was great. Yeah, that's, that's about it. And Aloisi in the post-match press conference said there wasn't a whole lot of positives to take out of it. 
Well, there's one. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Although I will say, to their credit, Brett Holman and Tommy Orr, they look like after they went down 1-0, the two of them did their best to try and take over the game and get the raw back into it. But maybe it's because it's early in the season. Maybe Holman's still finding his feet. They're not quite at that point where they can say, all right, we need something to happen. I'm ready to go. Just give me the ball. It was well, probably Tommy Orr's best game since he's been, since he's been back in Jan- since January as well for Brisbane. So that's maybe one small positive you can take out of it. Well, speaking of Tommy Orr, like I said, the, the big I think, key moment for me in the game, as far as you know, as far as the crossroad moment was that Jack Duncan save off you know, Tommy Orr's long drive. You know, they deflect onto the post. You know, if that goes in, we got a one all game after thirty five minutes. Then what happens? So. I think, um, like I said, if impossible is that if that goal goes in, it's a different ball game. So it may be just one of those things where you now I'd rather see these sort of collapses happen in week two rather than week twenty-two. What's well, it? You remember? Was it two thousand and ten, two thousand and eleven, where they had that hammering by Melbourne victory? It was three 0 down at Amy Park, and they didn't lose for the rest <laughs> of the season. Now I'm not going to go as far as to say that's going to happen again, but you know, no, you that's know. football. Always, always room for optimism here, but. Uh, Overall, like talking about that loss to the Melbourne victory, we've seen quite a few big losses in the Aloisi tenure. Is this one the worst that we've seen? It's one I don't think it's the worst, though. I don't think there's anything worse than that 4-0 loss to Melbourne victory last year around January, whenever it was. It was January 15th, I think. Something like that. We are, we are talking in the current tenure. Aren't yeah, we? the Aloisi yeah. era. Like I, say, I did see some you know, sort of rather ridiculous comments you know, on social media about you know, almost the, the Boxing Day massacre. There's, and look, that's Nothing nowhere that. near that. That's, that's, that's the high watermark of, you know, of you know, poor performances and just you know, almost humiliating moments. Was, was uh, that, well, for those who may not be aware, um, when we lost to Gold Coast United uh, 5-1 on Boxing Day 2009, which was actually uh, in the beginning of the Ange Postacogli era. Do we need so, to go through this? Yeah, it was Michael Zullo's first game at left back, yeah. and uh, it didn't, didn't, go, didn't go all that no, well, did No, it? Matt Mackay scores after 10 minutes, and then we wish we went home. That's right. I think it was uh, Christian Reese who got three headers, and I don't think he's ever scored again in his life. <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, See, the other thing I remember is they got belted, was it 4-1 by Adelaide at home a week later last season, and it just it really seemed to shake up their confidence from that. It did, and there were yeah. a couple of other bad losses as well. Was it 6-3 over in Perth, followed by a 3-0 loss to Adelaide? So it's it's one of the worst losses. I don't know if it's the worst in the Aloisi tenure. It's certainly one that you know will hopefully stick with the team and remind them that if they don't show up for every game, that's what's going to happen to them. But anyway, that's going to wrap up for segment one. I think we've experienced enough pain for the time being. <laughs> sure have. <laughs> All right, we'll be back on the Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Here we are for part two of the Brisbane Football Review. We're going to take a look around the headlines as well as some of the other matches from the A-League. And uh, more trouble off field for the Brisbane Raw, starting with the W-League team. So, Scott, can you catch us up a little bit on what's going on with the story? 
It's an interesting one to this one. The W League side, they've been supposedly asked to take a pay cut. A few of the players have been asked to take pay cuts. I think it's up to 40% or something, the stories were saying yesterday. That's right. So it was Tracy Holmes with the ABC and Vince Rigari with AAP who had the stories here. They're talking about uh, cutting the players' salaries uh, despite a raised salary cap for the competition, which to me doesn't really give great optics. No, I think it also as well goes to look back, I think, deeper in the story. I don't think it's just a matter of, oh, here we go again. Um, no, if, if, we, if the reporting is sort of correct, uh, this is all sort of laid in the lap of uh, former managing director Daniel Cobb, who I think now yeah, is absolutely completely mud, mud <laughs> name in football circles now in this city, and uh, was revolving around you now in, increased payments to our three um, Matildas, uh, Claire Polkinghorne, Tamika Butt and Katrina Gorry. That's right, but uh, the new regime is saying that the deals will not be honoured. The new managing director, Mark Kingsman, is saying that there's going to be an open-door policy to try and negotiate these deals. So, you know, it feels like they're trying to put out a lot of the little spot fires that came with the last one. One thing that we should make clear is this is all what's being reported as opposed to what's actually... There's nothing concrete as yet, so we're just commenting on the stories that are there. So if you've got problems, take it up with the authors instead of us. (laughs) Yeah, it's saying there's a $45,000 saving from the cuts to these deals. but And I know with the raw, there are every dollar saved is a good thing at the moment. But it's during the season. Shouldn't they be trying to avoid these types of headlines? Sure, they can save in some other area as well on the women's team. That's it. I mean, they've just moved base from Logan's back to Ballymore. I mean, yeah, that's right. And there's more stuff happening on that, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, but I think also as well that you know it makes you, it makes you wonder as well that you know where where they're at with this squad. You know, if they're still saying fourteen players, you know, I thought the squad's twenty. So it's um, we we we're only you know three weeks away from the W League season beginning, and it's by, by sounds for you know if nothing else, it just shows that you know this squad looks to be you know a bit behind the ball. And at one point, weren't the raw. W League team actually more successful than the men's team. Absolutely. So, I don't know, just something doesn't quite sit right with me. Um, But yeah, I don't know, I'm just, I I don't like the sounds of it. It's just, well, hopefully we'll get uh, some more concrete information coming out of the game. But the other thing that really sticks out to me is it's not really helping the game with the headlines coming from other rival codes where they're trying to turn their female leagues into full professional Deals. Absolutely, you've got the the um, AFL just launched the women's league. The cricket are going stronger with theirs. The netball have just launched a new Australian league. I think rugby sevens are as well. So women's fo- women's sport is growing so quickly at the moment. There's more options for young girls to participate in, and not to turn it into just an out and out contest. But I feel like that's where, along with the next generation, the women's competitions are going to be really important for setting up the game for the future because they can still produce some really entertaining games. I loved watching the Matildas. The W League has had some great games, usually more entertaining than some of the A-League contests we've seen. Central Coast. Don't be like that. You just guaranteed him a win on Saturday. Thanks, James. Ah, what can you say? Touch wood. Yeah, but oh, I think as well, but you say, but I think, and this is the problem the FFA's got at the moment, is that they're trying to make it a contest, but I can guarantee you the AFL and, you know, Nepal Australia, they are trying to make a contest, and they are not um, shy in trying to poach, you know, footballers, you know, or in the colloquial term, soccer players, to go play AFL or go play, you know, these other codes. So I think, unfortunately, as much as the old chestnut of, oh, you can only pay them what the game generates... 
uh, they've got they've got serious problem uh, FFA retaining players because um, like I said they are generating um, more more pay for for players going forward and and I guess the holy grail is professionalism for women. Yeah, and like as you were saying, these girls are phenomenal athletes. Like you got Elise Perry who plays two sports almost professionally. I don't know if, what her contract. Does she still steps. play football? I thought she did. I don't know. I don't uh, know. I think I think uh, they I think sort of pretty much the whole two two co thing died when. Um, I, mean, I know she's contracted Cricket Australia where she had to choose between a, a the, the W League Grand Final or some meaningless fifth game in, uh, in a one-day series. I think she chose the... She had to play the one-day. I think that's pretty much you know, the end of Elise Perry as a, um, as a dual international. I think she's committed to cricket. And, that's and, and that problem. is a big loss for the game because she was a really good yep. story to follow. Yeah, just James... Uh, Adam mentioned um, Tamika Butt, Claire Polkinghorne and Katrina Gorey. I mean, they're three players who are synonymous with this Royal W League team as well. So if there's three players you're going to look after, I mean, they would be the ones you'd choose. They've been a big part of the success in the years that you mentioned. Yeah, that's mm. it. And you really want to take care of your big stars because they're the ones that are going to really push the game forward. And you, you want role models in sport as well. That's it. And they're definitely good ones to follow. Mm-hmm. Now, the W League... Uh, not W League, the National Youth League schedule has come out as well this week. So, I'm just going to bring up the uh, schedule now. It's split into a two-conference system. The Raw are in Pool A with Adelaide United, Melbourne, Melbourne, and Perth. So, do you guys like this two-conference setup? It's rubbish, James. Oh, God, I hate it. I really rubbish. Yeah, it seems a little bit interesting because Conference B only has... Oh, no, it's got, it's got the teams there. Never mind me. My phone's just scrolling out. So it's got all the New South Wales teams. So it's got the Central Coast Mariners, Newcastle Jets, Sydney FC, West Sydney Wanderers, and replacing the AIS is the FFA Centre of Excellence. I feel like they'd have a bit of an advantage if they've got all the best young players in the country. I think they're all 16, though, so it kind of balances out. The A-League youth teams are like 20, 21, they're 16. And a couple of injured players usually as yeah. well. So well, that is where it balances out. Yeah, no, uh, the Centre of Excellence, I think as far as the youth, Youth, the National Youth League guys have always sort of been uh, making up the numbers. I think it's good experience as well. I think we've seen a couple of uh, those players come through now into the into the A League. I think Costa Petrados is one that comes to mind very quickly. That I know has come through that system is now playing. Is got an A League contract? So no, it's Dimi Petrados. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the competition it's got a ten round setup, and then the winners of or the leaders in each conference will face off in the grand final. First round is November 12 and 13. Grand final is Sunday, January 29. We're going to have to get out to a few of those games, I think, aren't we? Absolutely. Yep. Problem is, we don't know where they're going to be played. You've the... never been to 2B Confirmed? It's a great place. <laughs> is, that, is that out near uh, Walla Walla? Or... Yeah, somewhere near there. <laughs> Parts unknown, I think it's next to. <laughs> Maybe it's in that uh, new development out near Springfield. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not travelling that nah. far. <laughs> <laughs> but um, who are some of the... Uh, players coming from the raw setup that you're, you guys are looking forward to seeing. So there's a couple of, that are away at the moment with the under tw- under 20s, under 19s. It's um Joseph Champs and Jaden Prasad. They're two that I'll be looking forward to going forward. And players who were in the NPL setup will will be probably going through. We don't know exactly who yet because there's normally cuts this time of year with the youth setup, and we haven't heard who is staying and who's leaving yet. So it's hard to tell who's going to be in that squad at the moment. Now just. Clarify for me, because I'm a little bit slow this afternoon. Some of those players that were announced as part of the A-League squad, like Joey Katabian and whatnot, are they able to play in the Youth League? Uh, my understanding is they can play in the National Youth League. If they're under 21, they can play. And if they're over 21, there's an allowance on how many you can include. So they'll be able to play in the, the eight-round Youth League, yes. Okay, cool. Now, where do you want to see these home games played? 
Oh, with respect to uh, the good people of uh, Redlands, uh, not Cleveland. <laughs> Somewhere more central will be yeah. good, but t- trying to find a place. I don't think Perry Park is going to be an option again. No, nah. well, like the Cleveland Showgrounds as a ground itself was actually pretty good to watch the team play at, but it, yeah, it is a very long way it's away. It's a long way for most, and you know, we, we struggle for crowds. There's no look when you that's not, that's, it means words. We're not expecting there to be ten thousand a youth game, but you now you do want to hope that you now you can tr- attract more. So somewhere more centralised, you'd hope that uh, the Raw can put up as far as a venue for the National Youth League. That's it. Well, just me personally, I've moved over to Cooparoo, and that's still a good half-hour drive out to Redland. So you know, and coming from the other side of town, like you guys are, that's a big commitment to go and see a youth oh. league game. Yeah, I think maybe Spencer Park might be a good option, or maybe Goodwin Park at Yeronga. One of those more central type options might be the better way to go. Funny you mentioned Yeronga. We're here in the Switch Eleven Ninety Seven Studios. Well, that would work perfectly, wouldn't yeah. it? No, that's it. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, if they have a Wednesday night game after a recording, just duck down and watch them. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. Well, hopefully uh, they can announce that soon. Now, off-field discussions. It's been an impressive start to the season for the A League. Attendances are up thirty-three percent. TV ratings are up forty-four percent, according to David Gallup. Is that a good sign of growth, or is it just the newness of the season before apathy starts to set in? It's also the Cahill factor, James. Yeah? That's all that out as well. I'm sorry, it's the Tim Cahill A-League, presented by Tim Cahill, sponsored by Tim Cahill. And his, and his academy. That's his right. Tim Cahill Foxtel Academy. He's got to work that in there, too. Yeah. And a brief cameo appearance by Yoshi. <laughs> <laughs> I got a bit like, for an overall marketing campaign, I like the Yoshi thing. It, it is, you know, speaking to some of those, well, for lack of a better phrase, Euro slums who think, oh, the A-League isn't up to my standard. Maybe the skills aren't quite there, but they do produce some phenomenally entertaining games. I had to sense myself yeah. there. So. <laughs> but, yeah, like, TV audiences are up, which is good. And in the lead-up to the start of the broadcast deal, that is very, very important, isn't it? That's exactly what I was about to say. With the new TV deal being negotiated at the moment, I think the more growth you have now is... Perfect, really. So they're going to try and push for a double the money from the TV. You that's need growth and opportunities. That's it. And, you know, the crowds are up as well, which I feel like is more important than getting the games on TV because you pack out a stadium as much as you can, that's going to lead to a better TV product. Absolutely. Like we saw Melbourne Derby on the weekend. Was it 43,000? Something like that, yeah. Which, look, for a domestic game in Australia is excellent, but honestly, this is just me personally, and again, I'm probably nitpicking. I thought they could have gotten 50. I got, a, I got a feeling that having the Socceroos game yeah. Tuesday night may have been a factor in that. Um, yeah, like I said, like I said it's, it's well and good having you know, two big games in Melbourne in the space of you know, five days, but at some point you know, financial fatigue comes in. So I think, I think 43,000 I think is a respectable effort, um, for, especially for, for a derby. Especially with the a- AFL buying Etihad Stadium. So while the victory have a deal to use there at the moment, we don't know how long that's going to last past that. But, um, yeah, there was uh, not all good news from the Melbourne Derby on the weekend. Now, we had a message for the people that light flares last weekend, but maybe we can get someone to translate into fluent moron so that they understand. Adam, what have you got to say on that? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, yeah, I guess the, the one positive sign going forward is that, you know, there wasn't... The, even though we thought that, you know, after the FFA, you know, let Western Sydney off the hook with their, with their flare display uh, on... Uh, in, in the Sydney Derby, at least they didn't overreact and overreach. Now, you know, that one full 
for the Melbourne victory to side to go rip a flare. But I think the most encouraging thing in what David Gallup actually sort of intimated was that it looks like the FFA are drawing a line saying about self-policing in the executive areas rather than going the draconian, let's punish the whole club, the players and everyone else associated with it. I think um, this whole policy of, you know, if you catch the culprit, then you know, you'll still get a warning. But at least they're not going to, you know, dock points or um, or fine. It's almost like a good behaviour bond. If you point out the idiot, we're not going to come down and punish everyone else. It's an interesting precedent they've set as well that the self policing will only result in a warning. It'd be interesting to see what happens next time there's a flare ripped and there's no one identified. That'll be the real test to see what actually happens mm. then. That's it. And I feel like the victory would be, you know, on some sort of a warning because they have had issues with that in the they past. They were on with the Wanderers last year, weren't they? they yeah, both got it. warnings back to back weeks, basically. Du- double secret probation. Yeah. Exactly, something like that. But uh, yeah, Melbourne Derby on the weekend. There were plenty of other fixtures. Let's. Let's just go through the games quickly before we uh, look ahead to Sunday, I suppose. Adelaide versus Western Sydney. That was a Friday night game. Western Sydney won at 2-1. But uh, it wasn't without controversy. There were a couple of very dodgy challenges from Jack Clisby and Brenton Santalab. Adelaide have now requested that Sean Evans not referee any more of their games. Is that a bit of an overreaction? I think there's a few teams who mightn't be requesting him to referee their games at the moment, actually. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the full-time referees. He's a full-time referee, yes. Mm, just shows referees aren't perfect. <laughs> All those challenges, though, I thought the Clisby one was borderline and the Santalab one probably should have been a red. Yeah, I don't know how Santalab got away with that one, maybe because he didn't allegedly racially abuse someone this down, time. I down, but that's about the only thing in his defence. It was still a shockingly late challenge. Yeah, it was late, stu- but, you know, the studs were down, went straight through the guy, but his studs were down. But He's very fortunate. I know, oh, and to rub salt into the wound, he did actually manage to come on and <laughs> score the winner, so... Oh. How's that for poetic justice? I, th- I think it's all taking away from that um, as well. I thought um, Guillermo uh, Moore's reaction after the game, despite you know, the baiting from Fox Sports, about I thought he handled himself very well. I think, I think a lot of plaudits for not going out and blaming the referee on national television. Like I'm sure what he said to Ben, ben Wilson on Monday morning would have been far from you know, flattering for Sean Evans, but... I think, you know, at least, at least, you know, I can think of a number of coaches that could have absolutely flown off the handle on national television and really created more talk. And one we know very well in particular. So. Does, does his name rhyme with Devin Duskett? <laughs> <laughs> He's one of them. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the thing. I, I really liked seeing him say, you know, we probably could have done a lot more there. It's not the referee's fault. Because, truthfully, I'm a big believer in, yes, the referees will make mistakes, but chances are the team, for every mistake the referee will make, there's probably two or three that the team will probably look back on themselves and say, well, if we did that differently, we could have taken the referee's decision out of the game. Yeah, and bringing it back to football, Adelaide are now without Karuska and Sirio for a few weeks now, so their depth is going to be really tested at the moment. Mm, And this is after losing several players following their grand final triumph as well. It's almost an unrecognisable team at the moment for Adelaide Mm. compared to last season. Although, to be fair, if they're looking at it and going, well, we did start, you know, not winning in our first eight games last season, so... They're right on schedule. Yeah, exactly. It's a good fight back from the Wanderers, too, after they got beaten com- comprehensively in the round one to fight back from a goal down away from home in round two. That's it. That's Give one a bit of credit. It was a good, mm, it was a good Definitely. I think that's one thing that I really do like about watching Tony Popovich teams is they always seem to have some sort of mental strength where they can say, all right, we're up against it here. They can really get that siege mentality going the right way. Now, uh, Sydney FC versus Central Coast Mariners. Paul Ocon says Central Coast were the better side that lost 4-0. Does that yeah. make any sense to you guys? 
Oh, I don't know. How <laughs> I, look, I have all respect in the world. And I was very complimentary of Paul Ocon last week, but wow. Uh, look, look, he may it may be flawed genius, you know, in a way, but um, it's hard to it's hard to take much out of that game for Central Coast Mariners. They were, they were, they were beaten up pretty badly by a very very good Sydney team. They had a lot of possession, but it was like the raw of sideways amongst the back back four, back five. I mean, that's okay. You had the ball, but you got to do something with it at some point. Yeah, at at some point, and also, as we mentioned last week, that combination of Babo and Philip Olasco mm. looked really quite lethal. It actually got me looking forward to that uh, Brisbane versus Sydney match on November nineteenth. Is that? Mm. Something like yeah, that. I don't, yeah. look, I don't look past the next weekend, sorry. <laughs> We're just taking it one game at a time. Absolutely. <laughs> That's it. The best no. cliche going around. That's it. Now, as we talked about before, it was Melbourne Derby. Melbourne City. Are you kidding me? Where did that come from? 4-0? Or was it 4-1? It was 4-1. 4-1. Hence the jokes. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a very, very, you know, great spectacle to watch. And Tim Cahill. I think he's doing his job to uh, market the A-League with his play on the field as well, as well as the constant mentions of Tim Cahill off the field. Don't forget Tim Cahill cam. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh. Yeah, well, if, if there's one thing Tim Cahill needs, it is the ego boost of having his own <laughs> camera. But you know what? He's got an ego, and he's earned it. That girl's just... <laughs> like I said, it, it was funny, but um, like I said, they're already, already talking, you know, greatest goal, A-League goal of all time, and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. People wouldn't go into hyperbole right now. Can we just right pump the on that just a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> We've seen some pretty good goals in the A-League so yeah. far, but it was just an art of demolition from City. That was that was the best performance of the season so far mm. from many teams. It was only two weeks, but it was very good. Mm. It For me, it probably topped Sydney FC the week before in their derby. Absolutely, it did. Yeah, I think as well from City as well. We look obviously Cahill and Fornaroli was very was very very good. But I tell you what, Bruce Kamau's performance was you know just as good. You know, I think that that is going to be a really really solid. So I guess taking three of you know, three or four you know up there, and I think they're going they're going to be very very good City if they if they keep on going like this. And everyone was worried about how they'd replace Aaron Moy. And then they've got exactly they've got Luke Bratton in midfield running the running the he show. He was also and very good. I honestly, Kenny stepping yeah. forward in midfield. Those two were absolutely fantastic. And I honestly forgot just how good Bratton's passing can be. I think he's going to make a lot of raw people a little bit disappointed. His passing is season. way better than his haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping he'd get the uh, five hundred dollars he got for man of the match to get a haircut. <laughs> he may well do yet. You don't. Know Although he is in Melbourne, and we know everything is a lot more expensive in Melbourne. <laughs> spending all of his money on coffees. <laughs> all right, so. Sunday's game after the Raw, Scott and I were a little too depressed to watch Perth against Wellington. Adam, can you talk us through this one? Ah, uh, look, basically, uh, Perth, Perth two nil. Um, they'll look Perth. Perth show glimpses of you know where they can be at their best, but I just think yeah, um, Wellington was sort of fairly disappointing. It was a very dour game, and uh, at times, I don't think the next even we want to be in Perth. I think they'd rather be six thousand k's away at home. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, now we'll go with that. Now, coming up... Uh, actually, sorry, before we get into that, we're just going to have a quick talk about the FFA Cup, which is on tonight as we're recording. So, I think by the time everyone's listening to this, it's going to be a fantastic victory for Canberra, isn't it? If only. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah, that's it. Now, it's being played at Viking Park, so was that an interesting stadium choice for you guys? It's their home ground, isn't it? I, I, I prefer... It was... if, if it's their home ground, I prefer them to play there. I'm not really sure about the grand choice, but if it's their home ground, they should be. Yeah, no, I think me. they, I think they, they played Deacon Reserve last time when they beat um, 
Who was it? Bentley, was it? They beat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. With the late penalty from yeah. the keeper. Yeah. Which, by the way, is just one of those brilliant things about a semi-professional side. Oh. They get the keeper who's been off with the futsal ruse, stepping up to take a match-winning penalty. And they've got the best-named striker going around as well. Miss? Bernard Bau Madrid, mate. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> exactly. I just, I just love hearing uh, a striker called Miss. <laughs> Here's Miss! And he's missed. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the A-League ladder after two rounds. We've got Sydney FC and Melbourne City on top, both with fantastic goal differences right now. Uh, Jets and Glory are on uh, four points each. Wanderers on three, alone in fifth place. Then you've got Adelaide, Victory, Central Coast and Brisbane all on one. And Wellington are bringing up the rear. Thank goodness for Wellington then, hey? Yeah, that's it. Well, the Raw... Uh, for some, oh, I guess they haven't scored as many goals as the Mariners because they're both on minus four with the goal difference. Just as a side note, I believe in uh, mid-December is that Sydney FC versus Melbourne City game. That's one that I'm definitely putting in for a leave pass with my fiancé and just saying, I'm watching that, because if they keep up that form, that's going to be phenomenal. Oh, definitely. definitely. I, and I think as well, I, I can't really see much happening as far as our teams sort of living up to them. So I think they will be, come that time, I, I would think that they'll be one and two going into that game. Now, one thing that's really stood out for me overall this season is there's a lot of attacking talent on offer, and I kind of feel like the eventual champion is going to be the team that finds a way to negate that attacking talent. Absolutely. Mm. You, you mentioned there's so many teams with good attacking talent. You're right. I think the team that is able to defend the best in May will be the team that lists the championship trophy. And I feel like, just looking at the middle of the table, that could be Perth or Western Sydney. Could be anybody at this point, really. Well, we know Popovich is good at setting up a defensive team, as we saw in the Asian Champions League. So I wouldn't rule them out squeaking out, you know, three one nil victories and somehow coming away with the... Oh, no, wait, it's the Wanderers. They won't win the grand final. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm never allowed in Western Sydney again. (laughs) All right, so that's going to be it for uh, segment two, unless you guys have anything else to add. No, it's good. All right, we'll be back in a little bit on the Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back to the final segment of the Brisbane Football Review. Before we get into the weekend preview, Scott, you've got some gratuitous plugs to give us? Yes, I'll give some shameless plugging of our social media, James. So you can follow us on Facebook at Brisbane Football Review, on Twitter at Raw Review, and our podcast is able to iTunes and Audio Boom. And of course, you can listen to us on Switch 1197. That's right. And it's also on the Outside90.com fan network. So Absolutely. And before anyone jumps in, I will say we are trying to change the name of some of our social media at the moment. Yes, but techno- yes. Yeah, te- technology hates us on a good day. So. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know what you did to Mark Zuckerberg, but... <laughs> well, actually, speaking of technology hating us, I hope this final segment is actually recording. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, at, least you, at least it raised our uh, predictions from last week because we went 
not so good. No, I think I, I felt like I was being negative calling for a 2 2 draw, but it actually. <laughs> we all picked the result, didn't we? What are you talking about? That's right. Yeah, and I, I just yeah. didn't want to, you know, instill false <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, worry in the team by saying that we we're going to lose 4 0. Had a vision from the future and didn't put any money on it. <laughs> anyway, so this Saturday, the Raw uh, have their round three game at the Central Coast Mariners in Gosford. Kickoff set for 4.35 Brisbane time now. We've got some key stats for the game. All-time record. They've won 22, lost 7 and drawn 11. At the Mariners Stadium, they've played 19 and won 12, losing just the two. So that's got to give some cause for optimism. The last loss to the Mariners was round 27, 2013-14. Now that was... Uh, that's right, that was that... Uh, that was the game where no one felt like playing and there was resting players for the finals. So. That's right. And for I don't know why, just disappointing loss. I just assumed it was part of the France Tyson era. <laughs> <laughs> and the last loss at Central Coast Stadium was round 25 in 12 and 13. So that was uh, a while ago. Changes to the side. So Matt Mackay is back in after serving his one-game suspension. So we were talking about it before. What are you expecting him to bring to the side? I just think more balance. I think uh, he has a role. Uh, Thomas Christensen has a role. And uh, I guess Brett Holman has a role. I think that that's what they're probably working on all pre-season. I think, you know, him being, uh, Matt McKay being suspended uh, probably um, puts Baron in the work. So it'll be good to see them, those three work together again. Yeah, Adam took the word right out of my mouth, balance. That's what Matt McKay brings to the side. More mm. attacking-mindedness with Christensen's defensive-mindedness. I think it'll be a better balance. And he can help out in the defensive work too. So are there any other changes that you guys would make to the team, Scott? I wouldn't go too knee-jerk on this one. I'd give them the benefit of the doubt for this week. I don't think there's too many options you can bring in. Maybe Broich for, for Borello. Maybe, but I'll probably give Borello another chance. I don't think... Arana or Petralis are fit and ready yet, so you probably yeah, stick gonna, with it this week. I was going to say, yeah, that might be that might be the big X factor. Is, uh, Dean Petralos, uh, according to all the officials, should be back this week. But whether where John Elwissi goes, the knee-jerk reaction, and brings him in either off on the bench or to start, um, yeah, it's, it'd be amazing. I wouldn't think there's too much, you know, like give give them a chance to redeem themselves. I say, yeah, if Petralis is coming back, I'd bring him on to the event to the bench. Absolutely, like there's no way that you can throw him on unless you're planning on taking him off on, say, 55 minutes an hour. as I feel like that's become a pretty standard substitution time for Aloisi. Yeah, it kind of is, actually, yeah. I guess the other uh, thing point to consider is that, you know, the other knee-jerk reaction, I guess, would be, would uh, John Aloisi consider, you know, um, dropping uh, Michael Theo and bringing in Jamie Young? But has, he, has Theo really been at fault for any yeah. of the goals so I was, far? I was going to say, it's a bit yeah. soon for scapegoating any individuals at the moment, I think. And... Well, well, since we're just talking about that, would you bring on Daniel Bowles? Because Luke Devere actually did wind up getting substituted at the weekend. Was I, I don't know if it was for performance or because he got the wind taken out of him. Could be any number of things with Devere, really. It could, yeah. it could literally just been the game is gone and we're going to put him in cotton wool. Yeah, there's a guy that's played you know two games in 18 months or whatever it is. So you know, it's uh, I don't think he expected to play the full 96 last week, and thank God he did. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe maybe this is more about uh, management. So I guess I guess we'll find out in the Andrew course. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. I feel like Aloisi's got a lot to work on this season. I wouldn't be surprised uh, this week. I mean, I feel like I wouldn't be too surprised if he throws out pretty much the same eleven, save for Mackay, and says, "All right, guys, you stuffed up last week. Redeem yourselves." Yeah, and if it goes wrong again this weekend, I think that's when you'll start to see changes. But is it Perth next week at home after that? Yeah, that Sunday might be afternoon. the time you start to see some more serious changes. Should things go wrong, hopefully they don't, obviously. Now, for me, the player to watch in this game, Jamie McLaren. He's been very quiet in the first two weeks. He's been effectively marked out of the game. Mm. I, I feel like he's really going to have to step up this time. 
again, it's back to the chances created. There's not enough ball getting to Jamie McLaren at the moment. That's one of the biggest problems that we have. I think he defends himself against, you know, a, I guess a suspect and sort of unstable um, Central Coast Mariners defence who, you know, were quite frankly, you know, a bit of a joke almost against Sydney with some of the errors that they made. And, you know, if anyone's going to profit from that, it will be Jamie McLaren. But they outplayed Sydney. Sydney <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. Well, who, is there anyone else that you guys feel like you might be in need to step up this weekend? Brandon Brello, perhaps? I mean, there's competition coming for his place. You've got Petrados almost back fit. Arana should be gaining match, getting ready to play. I think that might be one position where we might have a Borello kind of needing a performance. Well, just to just uh, talking on um, Manuel Arana, do I wonder if we know when, how long until he may become a factor as far as squad selection goes? Because um, we know, we all know he's here. Um, I know, I know, I know a few fans have sort of asked the question. You know, when will he be, you know, involved? They kind of said a few weeks, didn't they? So. Maybe a week or so away, perhaps. And I'm just trying to remember, last year, how long did it take before... Uh, it was four weeks. Fourth for week, yeah. Yes. So, you never know. They could throw him on and say, look, if we need you for 25 minutes, we're going to play you. Ideally, we won't. But, it, yeah, as you said, it might be a little bit early to panic. Actually, that's one thing that's really standing out for me this season. It could be an e-jerk reaction, but this... Some of these games are starting to feel a little bit like uh, some of the rougher seasons. Was it 2012-13? 14-15. And 14-15, where the Raw didn't really live up to their potential. It had a bit of a flat start and kind of fell on their face. It's a little bit soon, I think, after two rounds, but you could be onto something there. I think we'll know more this time next week, if, depending well, on what happens in the Mariners game. I really hope I'm not right, but if I am, I'm saving this audio and playing it every time I make a prediction from here on out. <laughs> And I was the optimistic one two weeks ago as well. I thought, you know... You said they finished top four or top two or something. I said top four and they've got to finish top two if they want any chance of winning the championship. I still think that's the most likely outcome. But, you know, I think we have... We do have the right to feel a little bit negative after what happened on the weekend. It's only natural, isn't it, really? But as fans, we are going to be optimistic and hope for the best. Now, are there any uh, Central Coast Mariners players that you feel like could be potentially exploited or maybe should be worried about? I only saw bits and pieces of their game on Saturday, so I'm not 100% sure who's playing, but they've got a lot of pace in wide areas. Guys like Fabio Ferreira, Connor Payne, if Quabina Rapia, if these guys play, they could do a similar sort of job that Naboo did on Sunday for the for the, uh, the young boy, uh, Bahaja. He's, yes. he's, he's lightning quick. You know, and, he, and I can see him doing the same thing um, as what Andrew Naboo did to... Yeah. Um, to Corey Brown, so you'd hope that the you know the, the video analysts at the Raw are actually looking at that because he he is quick. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you kind of be hoping they'd start Jacques Fatty again after. Oh, hopefully, please start Fatty. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if they do start Fatty, I feel like McLaren's going to have a field day. <laughs> that's the audio I could del- delete if they uh, lose four nil again. And if it goes wrong, we're going to play that to open the show next week. <laughs> hey, I'm the one at the computer. You try play what you want. Do you do you want to come here and take over the computer? <laughs> Maybe if things go wrong next week, we'll see. We'll, well see. We're not going to turn one of those superstitious shows that have to change the host every time we lose, are we? No. Nah. You're in trouble if we do. <laughs> We'll have to ask the board if they're, <laughs> if they're uh, confident you're... I thought you guys were the board. Oh, maybe we are. Are you confident or not? I've got the vote of confidence, which means you, the last you may hear from me may be in about two James, weeks. You've got our full support. <laughs> All right, well, it's been nice knowing you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I feel, I feel like Roy O'Donovan could potentially be a bit of a handful for the central defenders. Possibly. If possible, As, or at the very least, a handful. a headful if he decides to stick his forehead <laughs> in the wrong place. That yeah. was, that's a one-off, all right. 
Oh, that's, that's right. Not, he's not like that. He's not that sort of player. He's, you know, he's a wonderful guy off the field. He does all sorts of charity work. Uh, what else do agents and managers usually say when... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say about agents, the better. Yeah, that's it. All right, so let's get down to the business end. Predictions for the game. We're going to start with Scott. Oh, my goodness. I'll, I'll say 1-0, but I've absolutely no idea. Uh, Brisbane 2-0 for me. That's 1-0 uh, to Brisbane, by the way. Yeah. I'm going to count on the raw to bounce back. Despite what we might have been saying before, I feel like Aloisi can get these guys motivated again and back on track. They're going to win 3-1, early goal, and then three in the second half, one for the Mariners, and then two for the raw. All right, so other fixtures this weekend. We've got Friday, Melbourne City hosting Perth. We've got... Saturday, Adelaide versus Melbourne victory. That's going to be a good one. Be very interesting, that one. That's right. And then uh, another double header on Sunday. I've got Wellington against Sydney FC. I'm guessing that will be an early kickoff. Should be, yeah. Uh, what time? Should be two or... Uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's four o'clock, six, uh, 7 p.m. local, I think. Ah, that could be interesting. Yeah. What's the late game, then? Uh, West Sydney Wanderers against Newcastle. I know, I know it kicks off at six o'clock. Okay, so uh, well, five. Six o'clock our time, so... so it'll be four. So, so a Sunday night primetime game yeah. for them. yeah. And then we'd be having the uh, Melbourne Victory uh, pre-Melbourne Cup match coming up in a couple of rounds That's next well. week. That's next week after their FFA Cup game next week. They've got another derby coming up. Probably yeah, the last I'll, thing Victory want at the moment is another... Yeah, I'll tell you what, next Wednesday we are going to have to get through this recording pretty quickly because I'm going to want to watch <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, yeah. If it's a repeat of Saturday, it'll be very fun. All right, so guys, any final thoughts? We've said all we need to say? Hopefully there's a reaction next week, this weekend, fingers crossed. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, it's, it's, I think it's be hell to pay if uh, the Raw put in another substantial performance, and you know, you know, God forbid we actually lose to the Mariners. Like, I don't, I don't try to be too critical, but yeah, they're you now clearly the, the worst team in the league at the moment, and you know, the Raw could be joining them if they uh, stumble at, at in Gosford next week. See what they could, what Mark Kingsman could actually do to uh, motivate the team is just put a little note in their thing saying, "Hey, if you don't play well enough, those checks might not clear." <laughs> <laughs> they might clear, might not clear if it goes well anyway the way things have been going lately yeah, anyway that's another topic for another day that's it I want to get out of here I want to go get some dinner so guys thank you very much yep, thanks for having us James and we'll be back next week on the Brisbane Football Review see you next time thanks for listening to the Brisbane Football Review powered by Outside90.com Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today.